0: Blackwater, the Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, the Flying Tigers, the Swiss Guard, the White Company, the Knights Templar, the Varangian Guard, Clercus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, and Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, guns for hire, soldiers of fortune. Private military companies, private security contractors. Dirty deeds done not so dirt cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They've been around for a very long time and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up and accept it or move to another planet. Because in this world, folks, money trumps everything and like it or not wars are good for business and pandemics as if the only pandemic being hyped is an actual thing folks the only thing hurting anyone is the pandemic of the ignorant the gullible and the blindly obedient history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means of oppression and tyranny than by any other means. Oppression and tyranny, folks. Money, profits and propaganda. Call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning. You are being gaslit. So remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to Another episode of OCONUS, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. So, life as a private security contractor in a hostile or a war-torn zone, or a non-permissive environment, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good some not so good. All in all, private security contract is much the same as life. It is what you make it. The MENA region or the Middle East North Africa region. Lands of enchantment. Lands of mystery. Lands of the old one, and the ancient one. Myths, legends, folklore? Maybe. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centers around what we refer to as the MENA region. Yep, the Mediterranean. And then you probably also know that to every legend or myth, there is a base of at least some truth. So, private security contractors, private security contractors, you gotta ask yourself who in the right mind would leave their happy home, and travel to a distant land, a foreign country, to protect and defend the interests of their government, or another government, or in some cases, multiple governments, for people who, generally speaking, for the most part, are complete, absolute strangers, never met them, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't, maybe you read about them, maybe you didn't what motivates a person to do such things to leave the job or the career or the education that they had at their home wherever they lived in that country or city or both leave their wife if they're married their children if they have children leave the lush neighborhood or maybe not so lush for some folks but What is it, what are the driving motivators that would make a person say, you know what, I think I'm going to do that. Is it because it paid $400 a day, $500 a day, $700 a day, or even $1,000 a day? Sometimes, believe it or not, even more than that. Okay, what is it that causes the person, and who are these people? Where do they come from? Well, you see it all. And they come primarily from what we now call the first responder uh, fields, as well as the military. And some uh, didn't have any of that or very little of it, but they had uh, whatever the requisite experience and time was in the private security field. Uh, So whether it was an EMT or a paramedic or a full-blown doctor sometimes, OK, um, maybe it was somebody that, w- that did mall security. But for some reason, someone somewhere thought that he or she was qualified. But generally speaking, it was aside from the EMTs and the paramedics, which filled a crucial role uh, and still do, whether it's on land or out at sea doing maritime security or the street cop or the private detective or the guy or the gal that worked for one of the dozens of other government entities, whether it was ATF, DEA, FBI, just go down the list, it's all there, okay? And or the man or woman who is a veteran, okay, former military, regardless of the branch, the skills that they were taught, the stuff that they learned, that they picked up through experience, through the courses and the schools that they went through, those all are the critical things that they have to have, for the most part, to operate in a hostile war zone or a non-permissive environment. But it takes more than that. Also, the mindset. You've got to have the right mindset. You've got to have the right attitude. And we can call it the warrior mindset, the warrior attitude, whatever you want, the, the never give up kind of thing. Um and it, war is an interesting term because it comes from the root word war. So warrior, <laughs> OK, think about that a little bit for some of those folks out there that that use the term. I am a warrior. Just think about it. Are you really? Anyway, so what drives a person to do these sorts of things? There's, there's I mean, the, the, the reasons and the stuff that you hear is almost endless. It may be even endless. And I don't know that I've heard them all, but I mean, an awful lot of them. Everything from, yeah, the money, the alluring, uh, sexiness of being a private security contractor in a foreign land, especially in a, in a war type environment, um, there's, the reasons are almost endless, uh, maybe even endless, uh, you know, the, the, the conversations go in many different ways, but, uh, uh, A fairly typical one is somebody's talking to you and say, you know, and they ask you, "Hey, you ever thought about it? Would you like to do it?" And the, the conversation starts. Almost always, almost always, it has to do with money. It's more than they're making now, by the thousands per month. Okay. Then there's other factors that, believe it or not, actually play into it for some people. Okay, the sense of adventure. The perceived sense of excitement, travel, going to other places and other places, contributing (laughs) to an overall collective good, to something that's bigger and better than what you are and what you're doing now. You feel like you're going to be attributing and contributing to something far more than what you're doing now. Then there's also the other allures that uh, sometimes are brought up and mentioned that are frequently otherwise overlooked, such as. Yeah, you get to live um, in conditions by comparison that are otherwise squalor, squalor conditions by comparison to what you're used to, okay? The infrastructure is not what it is here. The support is not what you have here, okay? Your room and the amenities in your room are not what you have here, okay? You may be challenged for your meals, they... Uh, Not always, and usually, but it it can be challenging. Um, Even going to the restroom, okay, Um, it's not always like it is at home, okay? So there's so many things that are out there that appeal to everybody. Some of them are fairly common uh, appeals to a lot or most of us, but everybody has their reasons. Usually, ultimately, money's behind it. And let's, let's be honest, money is important in this. And for a long time, um, up until probably somewhere between 2013 and 2015, it was the money. And, the, and there was extra money for this and extra money for that. So you had your base salary or your base pay, plus you had these other offsetting um, pay adjustments to the scale that took you from, say, what might be advertised as a base pay of anywhere between 250 to 350 dollars a day but when you get this this and this you're making 500 or 600 or 700 dollars a day whatever they're saying man that's you know in a lot of cases for a lot of us uh it was two or even three times what we're making here at home regardless of of how much we enjoyed here at home it's like huh you know if i could do that for three to five years some guys talk about seven to ten but if i could do that for three to five years man okay you know where i'm going with that so the motivations and the reasons why a person would get up and leave everything that they've come to know them that they've built to go somewhere else in a foreign land foreign country okay the reasons are not dissimilar but they're not always the same as to why a guy or a gal would raise their hand and volunteer to be in the military and oftentimes You get nice flowery, nice rose smelling uh, flatteries like, you know, you'll be the expert. You'll be the advisor. You'll be the consultant. You'll be the go to guy. Now, originally, a lot of guys and gals, uh, mostly guys on the private security side, went over there in the early parts of the second Gulf War, uh, second Iraq War, whatever you want to call it. Primarily for the money, but also a lot of them, the common refrain was, you know, that's what I did for 10 or 15 or 20 years. It's all I know. And they kind of want me to do pretty much the same sort of thing, but for a whole lot more money. Now, we still heard that even as the years went on. Um, But those are the things that were the alluring attractions. Uh, There was no fanciful ideological notions for the most part going over there, what you're getting into, because you knew what the conditions were like. Uh, You've probably been around the private security contractors. You've seen them come and go. Uh, You knew what the conditions were that they lived in and they worked in and that they operated in. Uh, So you go from a place like, for example, Kuwait or most of the countries that are part of the UAE all the way down to Saudi Arabia uh, where starting probably around 2006 2007 uh, things started to quiet down and wind down at least in Kuwait and you know because a lot of it didn't really go much further south than than Kuwait for the most part Uh, not that there weren't security concerns in all those countries but come you know somewhere between 2007 2008 uh, as we moved from Kuwait you know, as you go push further north uh, from 2003 to about 2007, 2008, things were, were, were quite different. The, and you've probably seen it and read it and heard it a lot yourself because almost all the videos um, and all the pictures and all the stories you've read about this stuff took place in Iraq and Afghanistan. So you go from a place like in Iraq, I mean, uh, Kuwait um, and, and and the country south of Kuwait where your chances of being seriously injured or killed were minimal at best, for the most part, starting around 2007 anyway, uh, maybe even arguably 2006 or 5. Uh, so you go into Iraq and Afghanistan all the way up through probably even to, di- to this day. Uh, well, forget Afghanistan because we're not in Afghanistan, at least uh, certainly not like we used to be. Um, those that all went away, uh, for the most part, with the exception of say the uh, State Department and other uh, um, government agencies that operate over there on a furtive basis. So, but prior to that, prior to that pullout, okay, and and still to this day, there's still stuff in Iraq. Most of it's on truly on the private side. There, and and uh, the stuff that's quasi government is almost exclusively uh, the State Department and the other alphabet agencies that are still out there where they have those contracts uh, throughout the MENA region so you go into those countries and you still to this day it's 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 not what we would call a safe environment okay you can and people still do get hurt tripped up even killed okay and not always as a result of direct uh fire and there were plenty of guys and gals Uh, that really, you know, uh, there was no, you could not necessarily look at a person and say, yeah, that person works in Kuwait for this reason. That person works in Iraq for this reason. Everybody had their different reasons. So if you had what it took to be a private security contractor in Iraq or Afghanistan or Kuwait, okay, the reasons that some people took contracts in, say, Kuwait, as opposed to Iraq, were probably as varied and different as the people that opted for the contract in Iraq or Afghanistan versus Kuwait. Okay. Quite often, the people that had already been in one of those countries or another country and had already seen or been a part of, in some way or another, uh, the wars, sometimes, maybe more than that, sometimes, oftentimes, you would meet those people in the countries like Kuwait, and they were like, you know, been there, done it, seen it. Don't want to do it anymore. I like it here. I don't make as much money, but the temple and the lifestyle and the the lack of risk. Um, it, it, this is what I want. So, and then you ask them, well, why don't you just go home and get a job back at home? And again, their responses and their reasons were as varied as plant and bug life. Okay. Same sort of thing with the guys and gals that chose to go back to Iraq and Afghanistan. Usually, you got a sense that if they'd been doing this for a while, there was something that they were missing. Something that happened, something that they remember from the past, recent or distant, that kept them there or kept them going back there. Okay. Uh, So again, the reasons varied. I mean, as widely as bug and plant life. It's just... You just didn't know for sure. You couldn't just say, yep, that person's cut out for this. This person's cut out for that. I mean, sometimes you can, but usually, you know, something happens and the person just snaps. But again, a lot of it, a lot of it was driven by money. I mean, I can't accurately recollect the vast numbers of times that I saw, I forget what they called them, but basically recruiting parties, in-person recruiting parties they were usually held somewhere on the economy in Kuwait. But you'd sometimes see them in other places as well. And it seemed like every day for that year, it seemed like every day there were multiple people talking about getting jobs with a different company in another country or in this country or whatever for the money. Okay, that's what it was. They were going to make more money. And sometimes you'd hear them say, you know, they would tell you that the, that the major reason, allure or draw was because the job they were going to be doing. But that job also entailed quite a bit more money. So I think ultimately it came down to money, maybe prestige. Yeah, maybe a little cool guy stuff, you know, um, you know, they didn't have to worry about being called a fobbit or have that stigma attached to them. Um, You've got to ask yourself, so what was it about Kuwait um, that kept it otherwise relatively safe? Well, there's a myriad of reasons, uh, not to mention, the, I mean, you've got things like to the south and west of, of the Kuwait borders. You basically got surrounded on those sides and ends uh, by Saudi Arabia. And then to the east, you've got the peninsula. And to the north, for a portion of Kuwait, you've got Iraq. And the security checks and the perimeter fencing and all the physical barriers and security stuff that went into it, uh, both at the what we would call the civilian and quasi-government level all the way to the military level. I mean, there were just the, the security posture and the efforts that went into keeping Kuwait safe, along with the rest of the countries in that region as you go south, were pretty pretty amazing, and for the most part, if you were paying attention, you saw them. And uh, did people get through the cracks? Did stuff happen? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it just it just does. I mean, you know, what's that old saying? You know, where you've got a person that is intent upon committing the crime. It's just a matter of time. Okay, so if this person is not a full-on retard, if if, if they've got a half at least a half a brain on their shoulders, okay, and they're patient. Okay, the committed terrorist, the committed criminal. Okay, we've seen it, and read it. It, It's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. The other thing that sometimes gets talked about is the security posture. How well is it able to defend against that? Will it be enough? And usually it is. Not always, but usually it is. That doesn't mean, because usually all this stuff that took place was off base off the fobs outside the perimeter okay out in the wild out in the open whatever you want to call it that's usually where all the bad stuff happened most of the stuff that happened inside on the interior was indirect stuff okay that's not to say that there weren't assaults or charges on the camps or the bases of the fobs because there were and some of us including me were there for some of those things when it happened and not that they didn't happen in a lot of places. We heard it. We saw it. But I got to say that my experience as a private security contractor overseas for that sort of thing happened a lot in Afghanistan. And for me, uh, mostly in the uh, Jalalabad area in that province. Okay, And further south, okay, there was even more of it. So it seemed like the further north you went... Not that it wasn't there, not that it didn't happen, but not quite as bad or to the extent that it happened as you went further south in Afghanistan. So when you're talking about motivators and reasons why a person does these things, like me, for example, I mean, I was just, I had, uh, oh man, multiple careers over my course of years. And I just, you know, I was just sick and fat and tired fed up with all with all the shenanigans and and the blustery and the bluffing and you know the chest puffing and the chest thumping and and everybody going on and i just everybody it was like a rat race i mean the proverbial rat race and it just every day every week every month it was the same the lies the deceit the everything okay constantly having to fight for more money or this money that you were owed this that one thing another there seemed to be, when you're overseas, especially in a war environment, there seemed to be a certain level of sincerity, or uh, some would call it integrity, whatever you want to call it, character. I mean, all those things, there was a certain level of it that at sometimes it was like, wow, this is awesome, because that's all there is. Integrity, character, uh, sincerity, um, people doing what they say they're going to do. So aside from the money, because, you know, the money was, was probably the number one, when you take out all the allures and all the facts you look at, the money was the number one thing. But then once you're there and you're around these people and you're doing this stuff, you realize what a brotherhood or a sisterhood, call it whatever you want. Okay. But it was a brotherhood. And unless you were just a complete shithead, everybody pretty much had each other's backs. We are all looking around for each other. Pogues, posers, wannabes, yeah, they were everywhere. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, just, you know, a few of them. Other places, a lot of them. But here, there, whatever, Th- that really never bothered me. Um, did I ever refer to anybody as that? Not really. I think maybe once or twice, maybe to someone, you know, one or two guys, maybe three guys that just, you know, it's like just had enough of, of their stupid uh, – chicanery and it's like you know but otherwise like no i mean that stuff never really bothered me um because you got it everywhere so you know but there's there's just were always more way more guys and gals that were serious and sincere um and had that level of integrity and character that you could count on that they were just level-headed people so at the end of the day Uh, Depending on where you were, like, I mean, one of a great many examples was I think it was called the New Kabul Center or something like that. uh, NKC or something like that uh, where a lot of um, Americans and Brits and and other nationalities went through um, in this uh, otherwise relatively well fortified um, area. So you go there and you might just be transiting. You might be working there, whatever, for a few days or a week or whatever. You're there. The food was good. And, you know, they had, um, you know, depending on on the company and the nation, I mean, you go in there, you drink the tea, you drink the beer, you drink the liquor, whatever. Okay. And you just sit down, you play some cards, you play some poker, um, some pool, um, you know, whatever, or you watch TV, you know, you just Wind down, relax, and you know, take a deep breath and just let it out, uh, and get back to the day. Either the you know the next day after your day off or or whatever. So you had that stuff going on, and you know, some I think probably most people when they engaged in what was otherwise a quote unquote illegal activity because it was against General Order Number One. Usually took it back to the room and kept it in the room, whether it was alone or with, you know, one or two or maybe a small group of of tight, close friends that they could trust. Um, So that stuff went on a lot. Was it pervasive? Maybe arguably. I never really had a problem with it as long as they could keep it under wraps, as long as they could keep a lid on it, didn't overdo it, uh, didn't go out and cause problems, didn't bring any disgrace to themselves but more importantly to the rest of the people in the company or on that contract okay didn't show up the next day with a hangover i mean there were people that did and those were addressed and taken care of um the stuff that kind of bothered me more than that um and it wasn't it was in in all the countries that that i was in even if i was just traveling through them but there were uh you know the, the drug stuff the, the alcohol uh, bootlegging, people selling it, you know, picking it up at this airport or that airport and shuttling in however they got it there through the various means um, and selling it for, you know, four, five, ten times what you could pick it up um, because let's face it, there were ways and not just a few ways. To get that stuff in but there always is just like here in america and any country there's always ways to get that stuff in again if you're intent on doing it if if there's a market for it if there's a need for it if there's people with money that are willing to part their money for that it's going to happen so The only thing I really had a problem with in terms of that stuff was the drugs Um, and and not just uh, the stuff that we might normally think of drugs either. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff, even uh, what we would call date rape drugs at this point now. And uh, I was kind of blown away by some of it. (laughs) You know, it's like, wow, man. uh, okay, you know, and, and, you know, and some of it was just what we would call enhancers uh you know whether for for the bedside stuff or for the gym um and you could usually tell when a when a guy was was doing the steroids thing um and i had i was going to say a few but more than a few um, times when either they were doing too much the wrong kind or just didn't work well in their body and they would sometimes portray what we refer to as roid rage. Uh, So I'm just saying, you know, whether it's coffee or steroids or whatever, if you can handle it and you can do your job and not cause a problem, you know, I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent, but whatever, okay? But when you can't handle it, when it becomes a problem, yeah, I got a problem with it too. And I know I wasn't the only one. There are plenty of people out there that have problems with it. If you, you know, it's kind of like the saying here at home, if you can't handle your liquor, you know, You shouldn't be drinking, you know, and people go, you were drinking. Well, yeah, you know, it it wasn't an uncommon thing for a lot of most people to have a nightcap. You know, one stiff drink, maybe two to take that edge off, relax, go to sleep and stay asleep because you're only going to get that four or five hours of sleep. Six if you were lucky. And there were a lot of things that could wake you up. And a lot of things did wake you up, <laughs> you know. Uh, fortunately, you learned to figure out pretty quickly whether it was direct or indirect and whether you actually needed to respond or not. And, uh, you know, sometimes those responses, uh, well, actually all the responses, uh, if they actually occurred, were very much military-like because a lot of guys and gals had been in the military. And let's face it, those strategies and tactics work; they work for a reason. So why not carry them over into the private side? Okay, we're talking about staying alive and keeping others alive and keeping them safe. Okay, and defending uh, where you live. Okay, so all the reasons to go into why uh, a man or a woman would would leave their otherwise happy, healthy career here in the states and go do this stuff. You know, so I've already talked about it but you know then it's like when it's done so whether you just did it for three to six months or you did it for a couple or a few years or you did it for seven or ten years or however long you did it or still doing it okay there there is a sense of longing there is a sense of wanting to go back and do it again and i think most of us still harbor that you know we want to do it we'd like to do it again um whether we're capable of doing it or not is almost immaterial. I mean, some of us recognize that we aren't and some of us recognize that we still are, but we choose not to, uh, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, and that transition getting back into normal society takes a long time. I had a conversation with, with a good buddy of mine here, uh, this within the last week and, uh, man, he's, you know, he's still suffering, uh, not only from his stuff with the military, but as a contractor as well. And he's been out of the game for a number of years, uh, and we had a nice long conversation, probably two hours, on the phone, just talking, just two guys talking, chit chatting, um, and it was good therapy uh, for both of us. Uh, probably, I think he even said even better for him than for me. But you know, so that's the you know that's another thing. You know, talking, talking with people on the phone, um, in person. You know, being able to get out and and, and Get, you know, that PTSD, whatever you want to call it, man, it is it is a no joke mofo because it's hard and it takes time. But ultimately, like most, if not everything in life, you have to want it. You have to want to do it. You want to have to get there and you've got to find the motivation, and the drive, whatever it is that will help propel you to get to where it is that you want to be. So it's not like I don't think anybody is actually telling us or suggesting to us that we just forget about it. You can't. You, you just can't. But to some extent, and for some of us, maybe a lot, all of us arguably, can put that stuff, can put a, a container on it, can deal with it. You, you're going to have to work through it. It's going to be rough. It's going to take time. But eventually you can put an isolating container on it containerize and compartmentalize it and, and make those smaller so you got a whole bunch of them over a period of time and you can deal with them individually once in a while when when you need to but for the most part at some point you got to get on and you got to move on okay because that's life okay we know the previous generations have had to go through the same thing and future generations are going to have to deal with something similar so that said folks let's put a wrap on this one before i do speaking of helping uh brothers and sisters in arms and uh and veterans and private security contractors like i said there is no shortage of resources out there available to us to you uh you just have to know where to look or it has to be brought to your attention somebody has to know about it put it out there uh of the great many things that are out there uh um, a nice gal that I uh, kind of, sort of coming to get to know uh, through LinkedIn. She's got this. She's part of this Vet friend. They call it a Vet Fran, which is the Veteran Franchise. So it's VetFran.org. Uh, so if you're a veteran and you're looking for business opportunities. Um, I looked at the website, and it's it's interesting. So if you're looking at starting a business, a franchise business in particular, and you're a veteran, check out VetFran.org. So thank you, everyone, for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas, as well as some of my experiences as a private security contractor overseas. Thank you again to Kava Cohen and Colin Perry for the intro music and thank you to Andres Rodriguez for the outro music. Thank you to my wife for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. My children and all the folks, male and female, who have been a part of my life and still are. Remember, it takes a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for you might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real.